you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are guarded in my name, there am I among them. 2 Corinthians. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? As I wrote as I, and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Amen. Thank you, Josie, for praying for us, and thank you, Candice, for reading the passages for us together. And please do keep 2 Corinthians open in front of you as we take this time to look at it together and to see what it says. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Will, and um, before we begin, I'm going to pray for the Lord's help as we open up his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you speak to us today. We pray that you would give us soft hearts, ready to hear what you say. Amen. So these last few weeks, we've been looking at 2 Corinthians, and we've been thinking about what authentic Christian ministry should look like. And you might have picked up from our reading today, well, actually, we're going to be looking at how authentic ministry seeks to restore strained relationships. And, and sadly, in the world today, we probably are all too familiar 
with strained relationships, where people become increasingly detached and cut off and divided and cold to each other. It's a sad but all too common reality of the world that we live in. And the sad thing is that in this passage, we're going to see this happening inside a church. We're going to see a church which has started to have strained relationships which are not good for the church. We see it in chapter 2, verse 5, that someone in the church has caused lots of pain which has started to strain the church's relationship with this man. And we're going to think about how the whole church needs to get on board with authentic ministry which helps seek to restore strained relationships through love and forgiveness rather than pain and punishment. And as we carry on looking at 2 Corinthians this year, well, we're going to see that restoration is a big theme in the letter. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, the letter finishes like this. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. Paul is keen that the Corinthians learn to live in peace with each other and that they aim for restoration. So to help us get into this passage, I want to ask you a question. And that is, what might a church, what might, sorry, what might cause a church to become cold? What might cause a church to become cold? Now, if anyone was here this morning, I don't mean by taking the heaters out <laughs> and getting rid of the insulation. But, I mean, that does work on one level. But what I do mean is, how, do we, how does a church become cold towards each other? relationally cold, strained, and detached. I'm sure we can all think of different ways that might happen within the church life. Perhaps one was you thought of sin, that our sin and others' sin, well, that can easily damage or fracture our relationships with other people. And that if it's left undealt with and allowed to just keep on happening, well, over time, this can eat away even the closest of friends and family turning an otherwise warm and loving relationship sour. And if that's happening across the whole church family, that lots of painful sins are happening, and none of it's being dealt with, none of it's being challenged, none of it's being repented of, well, it's easy to imagine that a whole church would become cold. It would become a painful place to be, a place where we were guarded against each other, that we didn't feel loved towards other people, where our relationships were strained and they were starting to break down. Now, that's one way a church could become cold. Or perhaps another way you thought of is actually when people are challenged about sin and that they are shown the pain it causes, they're shown the need to repent, and they do actually repent of it. But instead of showing them forgiveness, well, we instead decide to hold on to the grudge and keep it against them and never let it go. And if that was happening across the whole church family, well, that also would lead to a church family that is cold, as we've never been reconciled with those we've hurt, and the tensions would always be high. And again, it's no longer a happy family with love, but it's a fractious and pained mess. Either way, churches, sadly, can all too easily become a place where disharmony and pain are widespread. But in our passage this evening, we're going to be thinking about how we as Christians ought to be involved in authentic ministry. 
That is ministry which seeks to restore strained relationships. Ministry which seeks to love others and forgive others despite the pain of doing so. And my hope and prayer for us all is that as we think, as we think about what authentic ministry looks like in this passage, let it help us all to desire it, to pray for it, to support it, and to be doing it. That we will want to be people who seek to restore strained relationships the right way. And this passage will hopefully motivate us and encourage us about the necessity of it if we're going to stay a church which is a family in which we love one another, in which we comfort one another, and which helps all of us to keep going in Christ. Because the pain of seeking to restore strained relationships is worth enduring much more than the pain of letting these things remain undealt with in the background. We're going to look at this passage in two chunks, and they could, that could be seen on the handout if you'd find that helpful that you were given in the Bible on the way in. So firstly, let's turn our attention to chapter 1, verse 23, to chapter 2, verse 4, and think about how authentic ministry seeks restoration through love, not excessive pain. And in these verses, we're going to look behind the scenes as to why Paul changed his travel plans. We saw last week that he wasn't being flippant, and now we're going to see that he was doing so out of love. Let's read from verse 23 again. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Paul refrained from going back to Corinth to spare them from verse 1, another painful visit. Although he had said he would come again, he realized this would not be a good idea because he knew if he went back to Corinth that it would lead to a direct confrontation with the church and it would be painful for both him and for them. And Paul doesn't want to make a painful visit to them because that might be the final severing of the relationship between him and the church in Corinth. That the rift that had been growing between them and that was causing so much pain and straining their relationship could be dealt a fatal blow by another direct and painful confrontation. We see this in verse 2, where it says, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I've pained? If Paul had gone back, made another painful visit, in which he'd put his foot down as an apostle, tried to correct them onto the right path, well, this might have caused so much pain that he would find no reason to be glad in them that the pain of this might have ruptured their relationship. It might have stopped them listening to Paul at all. He could, as an apostle, rightfully have laid down the law, forced the church in line, but he knew this would be exceedingly painful. And it wasn't more pain that was going to restore their relationship. We see this in 124, that Paul was not wanting to lord over them and stamped down his authority, but he wanted to work with them for their joy so they might stand firm in their faith. 
And Paul decided that the best way to do this, while still trying to restore their relationship, was by changing his travel plans. It wasn't that he was retreating or giving up on them, nor was he going to refrain from saying the hard things that needed to be said. Because as we see in verses 3 and 4, Paul does say those hard things, but he does so out of love. And he does this by writing them a letter. Now, this is a letter we don't have in the New Testament, and nor do we know the exact details of what it said and what, what it was contained in it. It was most likely a disciplinary letter addressing the pains which Paul felt because of the Church of Corinth's lack of repentance and their disobedience. But even if we don't know exactly what it said, we do hear Paul's own reflections on the letter from verse 3. So let's read those again. And I wrote, as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. Paul wrote to them out of much affliction and anguish of heart. This letter is actually sometimes called the painful letter or the severe letter. But it wasn't that Paul was seeking to cause them pain. He wasn't trying to repair their strange relationship through pain. But he didn't want to let the problems in their relationship be forgotten either and be left undealt with. So he used the letter as a chance to help avoid a painful confrontation while still bringing up the problems. It gave them time and space to read over it, to read over the sins that he mentioned, and to repent of the issues he raised in it, and allowing him to avoid another painful visit. We'll get to chapter 7 later on in our series, and we'll see the response this letter causes in the church in Corinth. And we'll read that Paul was initially grieved about sending this letter to them, but that in the end he rejoiced when he heard their response Because upon reading the painful letter, the church in Corinth had responded with mourning over their sin, and that the pain of this had led them to repentance, restoring the relationship between them. And restoring the relationship didn't look like stamping down his authority and being harsh and causing excessive pain just because he knew he was in the right. But Paul, out of love, sought to help them to truly repent, thus restoring their strained relationship. Because authentic ministry seeks restoration through love and not excessive pain. But as we're thinking over Paul's travel plans, that might leave some of us thinking, what on earth does that have to do with me and what I'm doing? Not many of us will go visiting churches and writing them letters to bring up issues we have with them. But even though that might not be our situation, Paul here is helping us to see what authentic ministry looks like. That we should be seeking to love our brothers and sisters, especially those with whom we've become strained with because of sin and because of lack of repentance. Not letting our relationship remain broken Paul didn't let his relationship with Corinth remain broken, 
even though he was away from Corinth, and he could easily have decided not to bother with them anymore, leave them to it, and just focus on the other churches he had to sort out. No, he decided to fix it. Well, so too for us. When sin is damaging relationships around the church family, it can be all too easy for us to just keep our head down, not deal with it, even when it causes us direct pain or to others. But sometimes, to be restored, we have to address the issues and sins which might cause friction between us. And for many of us, we'll find it challenging to talk to people about their sin, and we probably find it uncomfortable to be honest about our own, especially when that's hurt others. We might hope that someone else would have that conversation for us. We might even just think that a church of our size, it's big enough that you can just sit in a different part, chat to different people at coffee, and just kind of pretend they're not there and try and move on. But if we keep on letting that happen, will this all too easily become a church which is overwhelmed by pain? With a warmth that we once had, where it's been replaced by pain of broken and tarnished relationships. We become just like that cold church we imagined at the beginning. But as we think of this, well, some of us might be thinking, hang on, you want to be a church that's loving and warm? Well, doesn't a church that challenges people all the time actually sound quite harsh, quite unloving? Why would I want to go to a church like that? Isn't that going to make everyone feel less loved and more on edge? Well, there is some truth in that, that if we're too confrontational and we're too abrasive, well, that will damage us as a church family too. Remember, Paul didn't try to restore their relationship through pain, but through love. We don't want to be those who go seeking pain and seeking to cause it in others. But in seeking to restore relationships, well, that requires us sometimes to speak to people, even out of love. When we see our brother and sister in sin that's caused hurt, we need to help them to see the need to turn from it. That's why we read Matthew chapter 18 earlier, to kind of help us think through what this might look like in the life of the church. So it might just be helpful to turn back to page 823 as we reflect on this briefly. And don't worry, we'll be back in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11 in just a moment. And in Matthew chapter 18, we see what Jesus says this should look like within the life of a church, how we should deal with our brothers and sisters when sin occurs, and that some form of appropriate discipline does need to occur. And even if that does still sound harsh to us, perhaps it might be helpful to think that actually, we all acknowledge that discipline does have a place in our lives. Like when children are misbehaving. Well, it's good when a parent steps in, disciplines the child appropriately, just so the child knows that it's wrong and knows not to do it again. And it's good for the business when the boss sees his lazy and kind of breaking the rules uh, workplace and realizes it's wrong. Well, he has to discipline the office in order to make sure the business is successful. Correct discipline does play a part in our life as it helps keep us on the right track and not veering off. And we see in Matthew 18 that challenging someone about their sin and disciplining them is required within the life of a healthy 
and warm church family. But we need to make sure we do it appropriately, out of love. And in Matthew 18, we see three steps which Jesus commands Christians and churches to take in order to challenge sin within the church community. Firstly, in verse 15, we read, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. So challenging sin does look like telling the person. We need to have that conversation, but we need to do so appropriately. We don't publicize it or gossip about it, but we give our brother or sister a chance to turn from their sin, to repent and be welcomed back in as a brother and sister again. But secondly, verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if he doesn't listen, well, you might have to include others to try and help deal with the sin. This might mean speaking to appropriate and trustworthy people who know the individual well too, so they can speak to them and give this person another chance to turn from their sin and repent and hopefully be welcomed back in. And then finally, step three in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus knew that we would face issues within the life of church, and that we wouldn't always get on swimmingly, and that sin would tarnish things between us. But graciously, he taught us a way to help restore our brother or sister by speaking to them about our sin, not in a vindictive or harsh way, but in a loving way. Firstly, individually, but if they keep on refusing to turn from their sin and repent of it, then it is appropriate step by step for the wider church to become involved. The process might be hard, but it's meant to be restorative, not destructive. It's meant to bring our brother back. It's meant to help keep us all on the right track. But at every step along the way there, it's very easy for us to start doing the wrong thing. So one example is, as we've already mentioned, we might never get round to having that initial conversation, letting the sin go, remain unchallenged, and the relationship remains strained. Or for some of us, we might go in gun-ho, not doing it out of love, but because we were pained, we want to cause some pain back. Or we might talk to others first, gossip about it, making it public, before we've even given our brother or sister a genuine chance to turn and repent. Or at every step along the way, we might keep on challenging the brother or sister, keep escalating our response and challenging them further, even though they have listened. They've genuinely turned from their sin, they've repented. But instead of rejoicing at seeing our brother or sister come back, we've kept on punishing them. We've kept the relationship strained by our lack of forgiveness and being unwilling to welcome them back into the fold. And it's in that final issue, that's what we see in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11, back on page 964. 
where we're going to see that authentic ministry seeks restoration through forgiveness, not excessive punishment. For in these verses, we see inside the church in Corinth to see how a man within the church has been excessively punished by the church family, which has maintained a strained relationship between him and the majority of the church. Let's read again from verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. We see in verse 5 that there has been some major scandal in the life of the church, and that it has caused deep pain, not just to one or two, but it's caused it to all, we see in verse 5. And we see in verse 6 that because of this major scandal that this man has done, and because of the pain it's inflicted on the whole church family, that the majority of them have decided to punish him for it. Now, we don't know exactly what the issue was. It might have been a major moral sin that's hurt people in the church family, or perhaps it was a public attack on Paul. But no matter what it was, it has caused widespread pain to many across the church. And as we can see, they've been doing the steps Jesus wants the church to do, to take this sin seriously. And wonderfully, it's worked. The brothers turned from his sin and repented. But the church has forgotten to welcome back their repentant brother. Let's read again from verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Instead of throwing their arms wide around him, as their estranged brother turned back from his sin and came back, when instead they kept him at arm's length, they didn't welcome him in, they kept him in some form of punishment. And we see in verse 7 that this is disastrous, leaving the relationship strained, because at the end of verse 7 we see that he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. If they keep punishing him, well, the man won't become restored to them, but instead he could be lost. He might be overwhelmed and potentially walk away due to excessive sorrow. Authentic ministry seeks restoration through forgiveness, not excessive punishment. They couldn't punish him back into restoration. Instead, in verse 7, we see what Paul wants them to do. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. And then in verse 8, so I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. Paul wants them to forgive him just as Paul himself is prepared to forgive this man in verse 10. So this man might be restored to the church family and belong to it fully. Because as we see in verse 11, Paul does not want the church to be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Because think about it, Satan loves it when the church is cold. He loves it when people are divided in church and people are at odds with each other. He loves it when people don't receive or give love or forgiveness and are burdened by pain. 
But authentic ministry looks like forgiving repentant sinners. The irony of this is, though, that although we often were too slow to talk to people about their sin at the beginning, well, actually, once we've had these conversations, we too can find it hard to forgive them as well. Even when our brother or sister realizes the pain they've caused and realizes their need to repent and does so, that we can all find it really hard to truly forgive them and to welcome them back. We might even know that forgiveness is the right thing to do, it's the Christian thing to do, but when people have really hurt us and done things that have really ruptured relationships, it's not actually always that easy to forgive. Maybe it's someone who disparaged us individually or as a church, or someone who made life choices which have hurt those nearest to them. These things do cause real pain. And our sins can do that to others too. But authentic ministry looks like seeking restoration, even in the most painful of situations. It looks like forgiving our brother or sister when they repent, in order that we might be a family and not be outwitted by Satan. And our lack of forgiveness, well, it mightn't cause us to overtly punish people. That might not be how we express it. We might not keep on publicly disciplining them, but it might just rub off into the way that we treat them. Perhaps they're not top of the list of people we'd like to sit next to at church or talk over a coffee with. Or maybe we could bear having a conversation in public with them, but there's no way they're ever being invited to our home again. Or maybe that we just have no joy at seeing our brother or sister come back. Not forgiving others might express itself in a variety of ways, but no matter how overt it looks, punishment is not what restores us to each other. This isn't, how, this isn't what helps us to live in peace. This isn't what helps us to live as a family. So we do need to forgive those who have repented to forgive the people who have caused us pain so that we can all be restored to one another. So if there are people on our hearts at the moment who we know are sorry for what they have done, who have turned from it, and yet we are still holding resentment for them or even punishing them for it, then it is crucial we seek to restore this relationship through forgiveness and through love even if it's painful to do so. And the church should be a place where we can help each other to do this and rely on one another. So please do speak to someone or pray with someone if this is something that you're finding particularly hard to do or painful. And also if you're sat here tonight and you're feeling the weight of your own sin which has caused others pain and you're truly sorry for it, and you have turned from it, then please know that church is where you truly belong. Because church is a place full of repentant sinners, where broken people are put back together to truly be brothers and sisters, who belong because Christ not only has forgiven us from all our sins through his death, but he also helps us to love one another and to forgive one another even when it is painful. 
And we saw in chapter 1 that God also comforts us in all our afflictions so that we might be a comfort to others too. So that we can truly be a place where we do love one another and forgive one another despite the strains and pains which sin place on us. So that we can be a place where sinful people can be fully restored to one another. A place where we reflect all that God has done for us As no matter how much we need to forgive others, it does not match to how much God forgave in all of us. So that if we're someone who finds it hard to challenge others about sin, in a loving and in an appropriate manner to help them turn from it, or if we're someone who finds it hard to truly forgive others, even when they've repented and are seeking to change, well, we can all see what a joy it is to be involved in authentic ministry, seeking to love others and forgive others in order that we might all be restored to one another as God's forgiven family. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the forgiveness and love that you have shown to us. And Lord, help us to be people that seek to love others and forgive others today so that we might be restored to one another as your people. Amen.